When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tents. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. When we create a new botanical-style aquarium, we need to take into account the stuff that we can't see, but that we know is there. The organisms which make up what's called the microbiome. Now, every aquarium has a microbiome to a certain extent, and an ecological community comprised of billions of bacteria and other microorganisms sort of working together to create this diverse, thriving, closed ecosystem within the aquarium. Aquariums, every type, have enormous populations of bacteria performing all sorts of functions within the systems. Now, we're all familiar with the beneficial bacteria which facilitate the nitrogen cycle and play a vital role in the function of our little worlds, aren't we? And we know that bacteria and other microorganisms are commonly associated with botanical-style aquariums to provide numerous other benefits besides denitrification. The botanical-style aquarium is no different than any other aquarium type in that regard. I mean, these bacteria are ubiquitous in the microbiome. It's an elegant, complex set of interdependencies and relationships on many levels. It's a lot to think about. Like many of you, I have an understanding of the basics, but really delving into this stuff requires a deeper understanding. It's kind of the place where my basic high school and college elective course biology falls away and you get into more complex aspects of aquatic ecology and aquariums. So it's over a little over my head, but I, I do try to understand it as much as I can. Yet, it's important to at least understand the biome concept as it can relate to our aquariums. It's worth doing a bit of research and pondering. It'll educate you, it'll challenge you, and make you a better overall aquarist. In this little blog, I can't possibly, you know, cover every aspect of this, but, you know, especially with my lack of, you know, rigorous scientific training, but we can touch on a few points that are pretty fascinating and impactful. I might meander a bit and, you know, that's what I tend to do. <laughs> An interesting place to start, though, is to simply review a bit about the very composition of the materials that we play with, like seed pods and leaves and stuff like that, and how they interact with the aquatic environments that we're creating and the organisms which populate them. Many seed pods and similar botanicals contain a substance known as lignin. Lignin is defined as a group of organic polymers, which are essentially the structural materials which support the tissues of vascular plants. They're common in bark, wood, and, yeah, seed pods, providing protection from rotting and structural rigidity. In other words, they make the seed pods kind of tough. That being said, they are typically broken down by fungi and bacteria in aquatic environments. Inputs of terrestrial materials like leaf litter and seed pods into the aquatic habitats can lead to dissolved organic carbon, DOC, rich in lignin and cellulose. Factors like light intensity, mineral hardness, and the composition of the aforementioned bacterial fungal population all affect the degree to which this material is broken down into its constituent parts in this environment. Hmm, something we've kind of known for a while, right? Yeah. So lignin's a major component of the stuff that's leached into our aquatic environments, along with that other big player, tannin. Tannins, according to chemists, are a group of astringent biomolecules that bind to and precipitate proteins and other organic compounds. They're in almost every plant around and thought to play a role in protecting the plants from predation and potentially aid in their growth. As you might imagine, they're super abundant in leaves. <laughs> in fact, 
it's thought that tannins comprise as much as 50% of the dry weight of leaves. Wow, that's pretty interesting. And of course, tannins in leaves, wood, soils, and plant materials tend to be highly water-soluble, creating our beloved black water as they decompose. As the tannins leach into the water, they create that transparent, transparent yet darkly stained water that we're so into. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, ecologists will tell you that black water tends to occur when the rate of carbon fixation, i.e. photosynthesis, and its partial decay to soluble organic acids exceeds its rate of complete decay to carbon dioxide, in other words, oxidation. It's an interesting chemical reaction, and it's not that hard to understand if you, if you get a good guide on how, to, how this works. Chew on that concept for a really, you know, little while. Try to really wrap your head around it. I'm still grappling with it myself sometimes, but it makes sense, and it's worth researching and pondering. And, you know, sometimes the, the research that you do on these topics can unlock some interesting tangential information which can be applied to our work in aquariums. Another little interesting tidbit I found when I was researching that particular topic was stuff like how black water actually stays black water. In an aquarium, for example, for those of you weirdos who like using wood leaves and stuff like that in your aquarium but hate the brown water, you know, there's a few of you guys out there, you can add baking soda to the water uh, that you soak your wood and such in to accelerate the leaching process. Why is this? Well, more alkaline solutions tend to draw out tannic acid from wood faster than pH or neutral or even acidic water does. Or you can simply keep using your pH, you know, 8.4 tap water and doing the job. Now, I have a little armchair speculation. <clears throat> Excuse me. This might be a good answer as to why some people can't seem to get that super dark tint that they want in the long term. Based on that model, if you have more alkaline water, those tannins are more quickly pulled out. So you might get an initial burst, but the color won't last all that long. Just a theory. And it's, you know, interesting stuff. It's all part of the little stew that we make when we set up a botanical-style aquarium, isn't it? I think just having a, more than a, a bit of superficial understanding on the way botanicals and other materials interact with the aquatic environment and, you know, how we can embrace and attempt to replicate these systems in our own aquariums is really important to the hobby. The real message here is not to be afraid of learning about seemingly complex chemical and biological nuances of blackwater systems and try to apply some of this stuff to the knowledge, you know, uh, this knowledge that you learn in our aquarium practice. Yeah, it's the jumping off point for one of my favorite speculative areas in our little hobby specialty. So think about this. With botanicals breaking down in the aquarium as a result of the growth of fungi and microorganisms, I can't help but wonder if they perform to some extent a role in the management or enhancement of the nitrogen cycle. In other words, does having a bunch of leaves and other botanical materials in the aquarium foster a larger population of these valuable organisms capable of processing organics, thus creating a more stable, robust biological filtration capacity in the aquarium? With a matrix of materials present, the bacteria and their biofilms, as we discussed many times here, have not only a substrate upon which to attach and colonize, but an onboard food source which they can, util which they can utilize as needed. Facultative bacteria, adaptable organisms which can use either dissolved oxygen or oxygen obtained from food or, you know, uh, food materials like sulfate or nitrate ions, would also be capable of switching to fermentation or anaerobic respiration if oxygen is absent. Hmm, fermentation. We've also talked about that before, taking place in, you know, deep leaf litter beds. And I'm not talking about this in regards to making kombucha. Botanical layers, particularly leaf litter beds in the wild, offer an interesting study in nutrient processing and food production for the surrounding aquatic ecosystem. And although botanicals accumulate to significant depth in some areas, the processes which you know, we're fascinated by occur at surprisingly shallow levels. 
One study of wild leaf litter beds in Amazonia indicated that the majority of the aerobic decomposition probably occurs in the upper 10 centimeters of the leaf litter bed as lower material is more tightly packed, reducing O2 diffusion, and it's generally older and already well decomposed. Kind of makes sense. It's also thought that the fermentation processes release acids, specifically acetic acid, which help reduce the pH substantially within these beds. So we have biological processes occurring in botanical leaf litter beds, which A, facilitate nutrient processing in the habitat, and B, contribute to the food chain, and C, potentially influence the chemical parameters of the water itself. That's just like what happens in the wild habitats, isn't it? It is. So studying the influences of nature on aquatic environments and how to replicate and incorporate these influences into our aquariums is the key. Building a specialized aquatic microcosm in our tanks will unlock so many secrets and lead to amazing breakthroughs with our fishes. The thing that's unique about botanical-style aquariums is that we tend to accept the idea of decomposing materials accumulated in our systems. We understand that they act to a certain extent as fuel for the micro and macrofauna which reside in the aquarium, and that they perform this function as long as they're present in the system. I've long been you know, one who believes that if you decide to let the botanicals remain in your aquarium to break down and decompose completely, that you shouldn't change course by suddenly removing the material all at once. Personally, I consider this an essential practice in the management of botanical-style aquariums. The point is, our aquariums, much like the wild habitats that we you know, strive to replicate, are constantly evolving, accumulating new materials, and creating new physical habitats for the fishes to forage among. New food sources and chemical and energy inputs are important to the biological diversity and continuity of the flooded forests and streams of the tropics, and they play a similar role in our aquariums. In the case of our fave aquatic habitats like streams, ponds, and inundated forests, epiphytes are abundant, and many fishes will spend a large amount of time you know, foraging the biocover on tree trunks, branches, leaves, and other botanical materials, the epiphytes. The biocover, or whatever you want to call it, consists of stuff like algae, biofilms, and fungi. Although most animals use leaves and tree branches for shelter and not directly as a food item, grazing on this epiphytic growth is, you know, that occurs on them is really important. Fungi tend to colonize wood because it offers them a lot of surface area to thrive and live out their life cycle. And cellulose, hemocellulose, and lignin, the major components of wood and botanicals, are degraded by fungi, which possess enzymes that can digest these materials. Fungi are regarded by biologists to be the dominant organisms associated with decaying leaves and streams, so this gives you some idea as to why we see them in our aquariums, right? Exactly. I'm of the opinion that a botanical-style aquarium, complete with its decomposing leaves and seed pods, can serve as a sort of buffet for many fishes. We've talked about this a lot. Even fishes whose primary food sources are known to be things like insects and worms and stuff like that. Detritus and the organisms within it can provide an excellent supplemental food source for our fishes. And fishes do tend to change their food inputs at various times of the year in these habitats as the abundance, you know, rises and falls. It all seems to go back to the food though, doesn't it? You know, we have the opportunity to create an aquatic microcosm within our aquariums, which not only provides unique aesthetics, it provides some supplemental nutritional value for our fishes and perhaps most important, nutrient processing a sort of self-generating population of creatures that complement, indeed create, the biodiversity in our systems on a more or less continuous basis. It's truly functional aesthetics. Natural materials submerged in water, processed by a huge diversity of organisms, working together. A microbiome. Gaining a superficial understanding of the processes, the players, and the benefits which occur in healthy botanical-style aquariums is one of the most important things we can do to create a beautiful, biologically diverse, and highly successful aquarium. Get to know those players, study the processes, 
embrace the aesthetics. Enjoy. Stay informed. Stay excited. Stay curious. Stay observant. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tenant Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tenant.